0: You're listening to the Field Notes podcast, where we descend from abstract ideas and disembodied theologies into the embodied, context specific particulars of ministry on the ground. We hear from local leaders about struggle, breakthrough, doubt, hope, and everything in between. I'm your host, Seth Richardson.
1: Let's list all the things that we can't talk about in the church. Um, and we start to realize this is pretty much every item about culture, you know. Because even as we do this, we don't want to do this as an ivory tower experimental project, because that's not that's not where my heart is about this. Pastors that I talked to during that time just going, I don't recognize the people that I have um, that have been under my care for all these years.
0: In today's episode, we're dropping behind the scenes with Jin Cho in the early stages of a church plant. Even though he has decades of experience planting and pastoring churches, we're listening to Jin in process, without having everything figured out. Jin is planting with a co pastor in Southern California in what he calls a vanilla culture, right in the heart of where the attractional megachurch movement was launched let's dive into all the preliminary work with Jim as he wrestles through what it means to cultivate a deeply integrated space in a context like that. There's Jim.
1: In order for me to talk about the church plant, I think I need to go back a little bit to how I didn't want to do a church plant or that this is in fact, um, so this is in fact my fourth church plant. um, And I've been a, pastor, I've been doing ministry, church planting all my adult life. I've worked in big churches, small churches, um, um, all generally in leadership positions um, and um, uh, and I think with you could say with um, uh, a certain amount of success and um, I think the quick version of the story is that at, at about five, six years ago, I came to a point of burnout. I didn't call it burnout. I didn't call it burnout for several years. I probably called it, started calling it burnout like three years later. Uh, it was an unexpected sabbatical, a time in which of great disorientation for me personally, in terms of my calling, in terms of my sense of who am I uh, before God, uh, all of these basic questions. And part of it, I think had to do with my um, sense of, hey, I worked 20 plus years in ministry. Hey, I can do church well. And I could do be relatively successful, quote unquote successful at, at it, grow it, manage it, administrate it, uh, make people happy to be part of this thing and feel like I completely miss my calling. Um, this sense of a certain amount of dissatisfaction, uh, uh, you know, I I might even describe it as like a holy dissatisfaction, but that seems a little bit pretentious, um, but this sense that maybe, uh, this wasn't, uh, transforming people, um, that this wasn't, um, the discipleship that I felt responsible for that wasn't happening not because I wasn't trying but because whatever we were doing the result wasn't quite what I saw um, what I felt like it should be both in the people as well as in myself so I don't put it on like bad people as much as just something made me really question a lot about what the church was Um, and it was at that time that uh, I stepped into this and visited this small Anglican church with a bishop um, who was um, who I didn't know at that time? Just visiting some friends, and I never left. Uh, in part because I felt that there was something there for me to learn from, and there was a rebuilding process that happened. And but there was a point about a year, year and a half ago where um, I began to see what God did during my time, as you know, those twenty plus years that I was doing ministry. Um, what was good so it it was this kind of like the sanctifying moment in which I was able to look back in my history and see God's hand at work in it, even though I felt came away with it. So disillusioned. So, so it was this, um, it was a very healing moment. Um, but it also, that's another way to say that it also gave me another sense of like, Hmm, maybe this church planting thing isn't over for me. Um, as I began to imagine again, so it, it sparked this sense of imagination and creativity in my heart, and a sense of joy about thinking about the church and what the church could be. Um, another strand, though, was that in this past year was this also this awareness that um, um, that looking at the world and look, especially looking at it as um, as as a Christian, as uh, as a leader in the church, just sensing this. I think as that many of us have felt that, oh, what a maybe we didn't do such a good job um we need to take responsibility for what we're seeing in terms of Christians and uh, um following so easily for conspiracy theories, um having this kind of hands up in the air, who knows what truth is um having almost kind of um A weird sense of limited sense, a skewed sense, uh, a narrow sense of what the gospel might be. And and this severe disconnect between I know many pastors that I talked to during that time, just going, I don't recognize the people that I have um, that have been under my care for all these years and wondering if there might be a way in which we can bring these things together. So. a friend of mine, uh, Scott, um, who is my um, partner in, in, in crime in thinking about this church plant going forward, is we began to talk and we've been talking over the years about just how fragmented. And he's a pastor of 20 plus years in the Presbyterian world, but he's been kind of, we've been having conversations about just how um, there's this deep sense of fragmentation um, and that um, there are all these ways in which we haven't engaged with deeply with one another in community. We haven't engaged deeply with our culture. We haven't engaged deeply even with our theology. Um, the sense of th- what happened to what, what is rooting us, that people can just jump uh, from one thing to the next so easily. So uh, we began to imagine together about what it would look like to have a deeply integrated space, uh, Micah 6.8 is a um, one of my favorite passages for me because it speaks very simply about um, the integrated sense of life. I think spiritual formation is supposed to bring uh, a place of mercy and justice and humble walking, which I understand it as the slow process of formation transformation. And so it started out with two. Um, Perhaps a little bit uh older, uh slightly um past prime pastors talking about their experiences, our experiences of doing ministry and yet at the same time hopeful. Um, because both of us began to feel um realize that we both had a sense of hope about the church um, and this longing for a certain sort of space. And so we began to talk to each other and talk to few other people uh, to see if any of this even made sense. And uh, that's where the church plant um, started to really take form.
0: Many new church initiatives are often attempts to leverage past success into a new time and often a new context. A certain model for success gets franchised into new territory. Although Jen is a seasoned leader, and successful according to many metrics, Jen is not capitalizing on ministry momentum, but seeking to begin again. To be faithful to the past, but responsive to new convictions and new situations. It reminds me of the athlete who has excelled in her sport But right at what seems to be the top of her game, she realizes that her form is all wrong and decides to completely overhaul her mechanics or grip or strategy. It seems so risky, like taking steps backwards, with no guarantee of returning to form or glory. Have you ever reached a place, like Jen describes, wanting to go back to ground zero and begin again? Why don't leaders do this more often?
1: Yeah, well, I was ordained in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, uh, but I come—I think more broadly, it's from just um, even though I'm I'm an Asian American man, grew up in the Korean American church. Um, um, I tell people I'm a product of your your um, s- standard. American evangelicalism, uh, what uh, I might even describe it as white evangelicalism, in certain ways, as much as anybody else, I went to all of the conferences. Um, uh, I was saved uh, at a retreat uh, with a um, Southern Baptist preacher, uh, who didn't know a single thing about um, Asian Americans or Korean Americans, but he was just invited to speak to our youth group. Um, I went to a very um, um, uh, a standard a white evangelical college and institutions for my education. Um, so I'm a product of evangelicalism as much as anybody else. And that's probably what is probably uh, um, the best way to describe me. I think as an immigrant church, so there's always this question of what happens with the second generation. And you could see this with, you know, um, from my studies of German immigrant churches, um, um, uh, Chinese immigrant churches and Japanese immigrant churches, um, those that have a little bit longer history than even the Korean Korean immigrant churches. There's always this um, struggle with what happens with the second generation um, because the generation immigrant church serves a certain um, social purpose that the second generation no longer feel as much of a connection to um, or a need for. And then um, then what do you do? And so I grew up in a time in the um, 80s, 90s, 2000s, where uh, so much, there was such a, I think, a very um, fervent and I would say a uh, focused uh movement and, and spaces in evangelicalism that I entered into. Uh, so part of it might be my particular upbringing, but I, I talk about, um, I bring up the fact that I grew up in evangelicalism to say that I am, this is, that's my, that's my tribe by default, uh, by that's my family, um, that I grew up in. So I feel, um, those kind of issues that we're struggling with in america um uh, churches very deeply personally as as a sense of responsibility um with a certain sense of what can we do going for forward to do better doing this as a korean american pastor I think part of this is, you know, and I I thought deeply about this is, you know, you talk about third world people, um, or or third culture people. um, uh, The whole idea of, um, you know, when we were younger, that uh, people used to talk about, like, well, what does it look like to do this as somebody who has their feet in two cultures, and to be able to do this, from that perspective, and just finding hope in the sense of um, Jesus' work in doing incarnation in his incarnation, but also um, this sense that maybe this is you know, and you have to kind of own this um, through a painful identity development process. That you are neither um, you are a part of something yet at the same time an outsider to that. Part that you feel like you're a part of. So I say that in the context of American evangelicalism, where I feel like I'm very much a product of that. I'm very much a part of that. And yet at the same time, I do feel oftentimes like I'm at the margins of that. And to see that as both a place of acknowledging the pain, but at the same time, a place of a position of being able to see things differently, uh, a perspective that I believe will benefit the whole. So um, so I think in one sense that is the prophetic space in which you are part of a community yet at the same time at the margins. So to be able to speak truth into that because you have a certain perspective, I found that to be a benefit. And I think that, that definitely um, fits into sort of my process, my personal process for uh, thinking about our church plant.
0: Jen is wrestling with what is happening inside evangelicalism as someone formed in it, but simultaneously with an immigrant consciousness. This is similar to what W.E.B. Du Bois called double consciousness, being assimilated into a dominant culture, but as an outsider, always remaining an outsider always aware of the simultaneous insider and outsider status. Notice that Jen is not trying to reconcile these two parts of his identity, but rather to own how they have shaped him and discern how to move forward. Notice also that Jen's socio-ethnic location gives him insight and awareness to see what is often hidden to those, like myself, who are only insiders to the dominant culture. It's insight into idols that we treat like icons, but also sight to see God's kingdom breaking forth. My take is that God's renewal is already unfurling within the rubble of evangelicalism, but we need people like Jen to help us detox our imagination and reorient our consciousness for what faithfulness means.
1: Irvine, California, is um, my hometown now. Um, I grew up in New York City, so I'm a city kid. Uh, t- uh, but you know that's already been uh, quite a long time. But we made our home in Irvine. Uh, Scott uh, is also from Irvine, or I'm sorry, he's in Irvine. So we've been we've w- worked on Irvine together. But Irvine, California, is this place where um, you could almost. Um, pinpoint the time in which it was established because like 1970 was when this master plan, it's one of the first successful master plan communities in the country. It's a model for all these other communities around the country. Um, You could find books on it. Um, And it is this intentionally extremely um, uh, um, vanilla uh, <laughs> it's intentionally, and it's described that way in architectural books, intentionally non- non-offensive, non uh, intentionally very family-friendly, lots of parks within walking distance everywhere. Um, it is meant to be a very livable city, and I think I would agree it is a very livable city. Yet at the same time, there's a deep sense that I feel every time I return to Irvine from anywhere else virtually anywhere else uh, of uh, I describe it as almost a cultureless city uh even though there are many many cultures um it's one of the most diverse cities in uh in the country um but it is it does it works very hard to not um show its hand in some ways. is very neutral. Um, I think those are terms that most people would agree in the description of Irvine. That also makes it a little bit of a challenge in terms of trying to get underneath, like what are the things, what are the, what's, um, if people don't feel a sense of history with this place, um, it kind of takes away one of the conversations that you feel like you can have, right, that you feel like you need to have in order to to root yourself in a place. um, How do you begin to help people imagine um, that they need to be rooted uh, with their community or that they already are, um, whether or not they want to acknowledge it, um, that there is a, um, that that we ought to make that as human beings, we ought to make connections we ought to make deep connections with one another. Um, and it is, um, I think it happens in, um, in ways that I think most people that I talk to would say they're longing for something more. There's lots of friendships, obviously, in terms of people living here at, uh, with a certain, um, age, uh, class, financial class, um, but how do you help people to understand their sense of rootedness beyond just affinity? Um, so I think that's a challenge. Um, it is also uh, I also help um, to try to explain at least in terms of the in terms of the uh, church landscape. Um, we're in Orange County, California, uh, within a stone's throw distance. Maybe a little bit of exaggeration. We have. Uh, uh, it, the crystal cathedral, um, uh, one of the birthplaces of seeker oriented, uh, kind of churches. We have Calvary chapel, uh, which had a huge national international influence and then vineyard. Um, and then also a little church known as saddleback, um, that's within just, just the, uh, freeway exit down from here. Um, so those are the largest influences around here, so that no matter what denomination, most of the uh, most of the churches around here have a certain. Um, it's better to describe them ha- as having some sort of a Southern Californian evangelical feel, um, that you would almost not be able to tell what denomination that they were they were part of, um, but you would know that they were Southern California evangelicals. <laughs> Yeah, so like, I mean, values of like innovation, Hmm. values of being casual, um, you know, you look back at, um, I don't even know if it's like Saddleback that started it or Saddleback that kind of really articulated it, uh, but because those values are so strongly Orange County, Southern California, in terms of the way that these, uh, way that so many of these churches feel.
0: I hear Jen wrestling with a critical question that must be discerned when we're thinking about seeding a church plant. The question is, how do you shape a distinct way of life in Christ in a place that has been architected to absorb all questions of identity into a vanilla American ideal? How do you forge a vision for God's renewing and perhaps disruptive work in a place where if people are thinking about Jesus at all, they think about the attractional, megachurch culture that's so pervasive? Next, Jen describes a somewhat radical idea in traditional church planning circles. They want to deprioritize institutional permanence. Remember, this idea is not an abstraction, but a contextual response to a massive, branded church institution that pulls everything into its vanilla Jesus vortex. To me, deprioritizing institutional permanence is like taking away the fuel on which a parasite can feed. It makes so much sense.
1: Both of us having experience, Both of us having lots of, you know, um, we figured that we have like 40 plus years to get combined of um, church leadership, church ministry experience. And both of us coming at this point where we're on the other side, um, where we, um, it doesn't thrill us to try to uh, start another institution. Um, we, so like one of the things that we say is the most interesting thing about us is that we want to deprioritize institutional permanence. Um, and that sounds crazy when you're talking about it in the context of a church plant, but that comes directly from, um, I remember doing church plants and how much this sense of, I need to create something that's sustainable and that's like either the first or the second question I think that's asked of most church planters: is it sustainable? And and uh, what occurred to me was how much um, it could sometimes it could be thought of in a way that undermines the mission of a church. Um, so uh, I came to a point of thinking about a time in which we were doing a church plant. And um, and uh, I was in conversation with some people that were in that church plant together about 10, 10 15 years ago. Um, and we were reflecting almost nostalgically about just how good it was and how if we could have appreciated what we had, that would have been so awesome. But I remember as they were talking about this, the sense of like, yeah, but I remember that time feeling anxious, feeling like, well, I don't know, we still have to increase the budget, we still need a few more people because this facility is not uh, the rent is going to go up. I mean, you know, concrete things like that. Um, Or, uh, it'd be great to be able to hire another staff person to help with this situation. Um, in order for us to create another program or something like that. And all of these things, you know, it didn't come from a bad place, but I think those were questions that sometimes, um, for me, it had a way of undermining the mission, whether it was in terms of my anxiety or whether it was in terms of um, uh, other feelings or other factors that that made me um. You know, growing a church, is that the mission at all costs? I mean, creating another program to try to make sure that these families stay. Um, I certainly didn't think about it that way, but I think it could, there were times in which it could uh, have been so much better if I could have just said, well, I don't know if it's sustainable, but it is good. Um, If I could have said that, if I could have had the maturity to say that at that point, I think um, I would have appreciated what God was doing at the moment, and I I would have been able to praise uh, and acknowledge the work of the Holy Spirit and see the Holy Spirit at work um, with a lot less anxiety and with a lot less reservation. so, one of the things that we're trying to do is well, what does it look like when we deprioritize the institution building of church planters? Uh, well, it requires for us to understand finances differently, it requires for us to understand uh, facilities differently, all these things that require a lot of finances. So, like, um, we're committed right now to doing this very bivocationally or co-vocationally. Um, in a way that doesn't focus on the leadership um, uh, uh, leadership to do this uh, church plant like that. So, um, and also to be okay with having lots of unknowns. You know, um, to be okay with being able to say, um, uh, our goal is not to last past five years or 10 years. Um, and I remember that actually being one of the goals because I remember having people say it's like, you know, um, church plants that last five years, church plants, that last 10 years, you know, it, 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 um, you're, you're at a certain stage, and I remember those kind of conversations. And so it's no longer so what happens when you take those things out of the equation? Um, I think it gives a lot of freedom. It gives a lot of flexibility. At least it's done for us in imagining what we can do together. Um, so we could think about things a lot more intentionally in terms of the mission, in terms of transformation of what happens when people are actually here, um, and and appreciating in some ways the work that we're doing in the moment, um, a lot more so than. The work that it will that will happen with the church once it gets established you know what i mean i i don't even know what that question is anymore it's like what is an established church versus a church plant you know um when we're talking about the mission of the church doing doing the work of ministry it's just different um different stages of the
0: same thing sustainability can be a good value Especially if it means something like aiming for long-term transformation over quick, flashy results. Or if it means working soberly rather than excessively, not needing a constant influx of capital to keep the beast fed. But like other good things, sustainability can be twisted in on itself when refracted through privilege, or coercive power, or the industrial church complex. Sustainability sometimes thwarts mission. Sustainability becomes the mission rather than funding participation in God's mission. It can become yet another way we recenter ourselves in control over outcomes, or a way institutions assert a self-enclosed identity in the face of the more wild, non-domesticated movements of the Spirit.
1: When you take away that question, then you could kind of begin to kind of dismantle for me, like these other questions about um, how do you move forward? Like the other very huge number one question that people ask is what's your demographic? Um, and and um, I think, I don't know, I mean, it's, do we so we've been kind of more focused on saying it's like let's let's try to make sure that this demographic is mixed um <laughs> intentional let's just try to let's make sure that we we reach people in a way um that reaches the old as well as the young uh let's not have it be a young church let's make sure let's make sure from the outset that this is a multicultural church let's be committed to that um let's try to uh, mix in different backgrounds as much as we can. Um, we're limited in one sense by our community, but um, that that was kind of like one of the things that we settled on once we began to ask questions of like, what are our assumptions? Um, my sense is also when you think about like, uh, so like when I look at social media, like one of the things that really just is like, um, I get, it grieves me is this sense of like, oh, the young people when they see this about the church, when they say that this is what the church is about, they will i mean we've we've already felt like we've been feeling for a long time like the young people aren't coming back to the church, but just how much more this next generation of people are feeling like they don't want to have anything to do with the institutional church and how much they don't really want to walk into those spaces um and, um, and I actually think that small churches, a small groupings of things like this that that do not focus on the institution um, might be a way for us to step into those spaces. Um, so it is a desire for, in, in one sense, to for the church to be relevant in those spaces where it's becoming increasingly irrelevant. Uh, not in a way to try to be relevant in, you know, in the 90s sense, <laughs> But in this new way of saying, well, what if we commit because the gospel is relevant, the gospel is meaningful for us in a culture and gives us hope in a time of crisis like this, in a time of sense of loss of. um, uh, You know, loss of direction. Um, And I think this is where we're supposed to be forming people. Uh, the other thing that Scott and I were doing, and um, we were just having a coffee conversation about just like, let's list all the things that we can't talk about in the church. Um, and we start to realize this is pretty much every item about culture we've we've we realized we couldn't talk about in the church. And so and this was actually before the pandemic. And it's you know, that list has gotten longer um, since then. but. We felt, I I mean, and that's coming from a place of like where we haven't done good theological engagement with culture. Uh, We haven't really encouraged, we haven't helped our um, uh, our members. We haven't helped our churches do this well, Um, step into hard conversations and courageous conversations. So what does it look like for us to step into these courageous conversations Uh, uh, loosely, not as a to, to listen and engage and encourage and give people give everyone who is there the tools to be able to engage well, engage theologically not in an abstract sort of a way but really meaningfully so that we can together seek the mind of Christ so um, so that's the other commitment that we want to have like to incorporate that in the context of our service in the context of our worship. we want to prepare sermons, so well that it's about five minutes. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we'll be able to do it, but to say, um, because it occurred to me, I don't know why we have to spend so much time because you know, half the time in most people's sermons, they they're trying to do application. Um, but what if that what that application part was actually a conversation? Um, and why isn't that a conversation? because I my sense is the people that are working and and their lives, that interaction is a lot more meaningful to them versus when we come up with like few, a few ways in which people could try to apply this in their lives. Um, so I think that should be part of worship. You know, we've been talking about like, well, what does this look like? How do we begin to describe it? I think it's gonna look like um, missional groups, home churches, it's gonna be places of deep engagement, deep connectedness within community, and deep engagement with the larger community, with our culture. We realize, oh, man, this requires smallness. This requires for us to be OK um, and kind of measuring things differently, learning to measure things differently. Um, and then we're planning for this event. This is our first public event that where we invited people. Uh, and immediately we get, we were thinking like maybe a dozen adults and some, you know, kids around whatever uh, to kind of start it out small. And immediately we're at like 24. Um, and that was both exciting, uh, which is to say, oh, this is resonating. This seems like something that people want to be part of. And yet at the same time, I could find myself being excited about the numbers that I said I wouldn't be excited about. Um, So how do we make sure that we stay true to the course? Um, It's not that obvious. Again, it's not that the numbers are and it's not good or bad. It's that how do we stay true to the mission? Um, Because that's the more important part, because it's not so much about creating another church as much as creating a transformational space um, in a way that will be meaningful, in a way that those transformations, maybe not the church as the institution, maybe not our little church, but maybe, but with the hope that those transformations are lasting. Right now, these concepts and these conversations, we're having fun. Um, and it gives us life and it's, it's coming from, I really believe a spirit inspired place of creativity and joy. Um, but what does it look like when we try to do this and apply them to, um, real life situations? What does it, what does it look like? um, um, how do I do, how do we do liturgy in a way that's meaningful, uh, with, within this context, how do we do the Eucharist? in a way that is meaningful in this context that is owned by the community, um, but at the same time led, and, and at the same time creates that sense of mystery that's not flattened into um, just something that's practical. So those are fears, those are actual fears that um, that when we see um, more people, and when we see people wanting um, the church to look a certain way—that—that—that um, uh, that, that we're going to start prioritizing the institution. <laughs> it's been, you know, because even as we do this, we don't want to do this as an ivory tower experimental project, because that's not—that's not where my heart is about this. But it is this sense. I think Scott and I were going at this from this point of like, I think this longing is meaningful. I think this longing is. God-given, that this longing for this sort of a space is God-given.
0: Thanks for listening to the Field Notes podcast, brought to you by the Telos Lab for Congregational Discovery. And special thanks to Jen for sharing how the Spirit is working in his context. The Field Notes podcast offers a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the kind of work we do at the Telos Lab for Congregational Discovery. The Lab partners with you in your ministry context digs into the details and nuances of your context, and helps you discern new transformative practices that help your community participate in what God is already doing among you. If you'd like to learn more, check out the link in the show notes. Peace.